Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 93, How Josh Mallerman Writes. Josh Mallerman is a novelist and author of the breakout hit Bird Box. He is also one of two singer-songwriters for the rock band The High Strung. Yes, that's right. I got to interview a rock star. It was a blast to dive into horror writing with, yet again, another amazing author. Josh and I do a deep dive on horror writing as a genre. And again, my perspective is really growing on horror. I'm going to try and not be such a scaredy pants and read a ton more of it. We also discuss how learning music has informed his novel writing and how he wrote on the road as a traveling musician. I want to thank Josh for his time and for sharing his story with me. I count it as such a blessing to spend even an hour with guests such as Josh. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the interview with Josh Malaman. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's very special guest is Josh Mailerman. Josh is a New York Times bestselling author and one of two singer-songwriters for the rock band The High Strung. We're going to dive into that one. His debut novel, Bird Box, is the inspiration for the hit Netflix film of the same name, starring unbelievable cast in that movie uh, or in that, that Netflix show. His other novels include Unbury Carol, Inspection, A House at the Bottom of a Lake, and Mallory, which is the sequel to, sequel to Bird Box. Josh's upcoming novel, Pearl, will be released on October 12th, 2021 in the United States. So right around when this, um, when this recording will go out. Josh lives in Michigan, or as my daughter says, Michigan, with his fiance, the artist musician, Allison Lacko. Josh, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. This is super exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you in advance for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to interview you. Before we start recording, we were first talking about how great of a state Michigan is, which it is. As one of my favorite coffee companies of all time, I'll give a shout out to Madcap Coffee. Um, just so good. I think there's a location in your neck of the woods. Um, and we were talking about traveling, all sorts of really interesting pieces. But what I want to start about before we get to all those really amazing parts is you're two weeks out from public from pub day. How are you feeling? Oh, amazing. Um, Pearl <laughs> is, God, you know, this one, it, from my angle, this one was a bit of a sleeper. And this happens because certain ones you go into thinking like, this is a grand idea, a big idea. I'm going to do this. And you can see it. You can see it like it shimmers or something. Pearl, I went into it like, this sounds like scary or this sounds fun. Let's just, let's just see where it goes. That kind of thing. And I pretty much tore through the rough draft, just mm. tore through it. I um, felt there's something naturally a stream of consciousness about it because Pearl, the character Pearl himself, um, is sort of more or less um, running things with his mind, right? But his mind is a bit sludgy. So in a sense, that gives the entire narrative some liberty mm-hmm. where I, can, mm-hmm. I could be as uh, on point or as um, distracted or as fluid or as not as Pearl would be. Not that Pearl's telling the story, but it is his world. So 
upon finishing this one, you know, I sent it out to my brothers and my family members. And this one is, has long been now uh, my family's like favorite of mine, my oh, brother, my okay. sister, uh, my dad's friends, my, you know, so it's always had a real sweet spot for me where it was like a surprise for me. I'm like, oh yeah, that one, that one turned out. And, and to have like, you know, every time I go to a family gathering, like when, when's the pig one coming out? When's Pearl coming out? You know? And I'm like right now, you know, so I'm, I'm especially excited for this one to come out. Oh, that's so, I always love hearing these, the backstories like that. Um, just adds a, a special dimension to it. Right. Um, so you're two weeks out and book book will be out in mid October. Did, did you try it? And it's, it's in a, I don't know, would you consider horror? I, I, I don't know how you would genre bucket it. I, I sometimes think those lines get a little weird. Would, would you, would I you think consider you're right. horror? Yes, absolutely. Okay. This one is okay. squarely, but, but I think you're right. Not, not only do they get a little blurry, but I also feel like, like the idea of it used to be like, Oh, I don't watch horror or I do. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if it's from those lines blurring, but it, it, it's not, like a non-horror fan would love it because it's a thriller or it's a thrilling yeah. story. Like, so yeah. what are we really talking about here? Is it all blood and guts? No. Is it like a thrilling, gripping story? Yes. Is it a ro- romance? There actually is that in it. So yes, I would put it in horror, but I am also aware that those, that, that those classifications have really changed over, over the recent years. Yeah. Big time. So I just had, it, it's funny that we're talking horror. Cause I just had a guest on last week talking about horror. Um, and one of the things I realized kind of as I was listening to that and I was kind of unpacking that talk I had was horror as I see it is not actually, I think, what modern horror either is or is becoming. Um, so I think of horror and I think of like Jason, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or I think of, you know, one of those other kind of screamer movies that came out when I was a kid or even Stephen King to a certain degree, like the horror Stephen King. But it seems as if horror now is almost from the people I'm interviewing, it, it seems as if it's it's deeply psychological, but then also is t- starting to tackle social issues in a way. It's almost like horror is this medium that you can get to talking about things in our current reality that maybe other forms of fiction can't get at. I know exactly what you mean, and, yeah. and it doesn't even have to be it doesn't even have to be an exact linear straight line like the movie Get Out. Like you find right. what you're talking about in a lot of like Hereditary, Midsommar, Us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm really, I, you, I think, but definitely Candyman. I mean, that one's like squarely right. in that field. But it's strange because the genre really has, for now, become a little more serious in that way, where it's yeah. like, you can say something here with this. And, and, and it can be argued that Pearl is um, like animal rights or revenge mm-hmm. of the animal, right? That kind of thing. But I personally, and I know most horror fans feel this way, I'm personally a fan of both. I love if it's like highfalutin message and a serious social. Great, let's 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 yeah. we should we should experience that and think about it and talk about it after. And if it's just fun, like goofy stuff, like Elvira's right. movie, like that's great too. Yeah, and, I, and yeah. I love them both. So one thing that I try to do as a as a writer is like whatever, whichever I don't. Oh, how about this? Don't try to force like a social issue or, yeah. or a religious take into an idea. But if you have a great idea of that nature, absolutely go for it. Yeah. Yeah. When, when one of the topics that comes up um, 
a lot, at least when we're doing like our, you know, big writing events and coaching events, and we're doing like QA with people who are newer writers or not even newer writers, just maybe writers who've had this question, they haven't had a place to ask it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Cause I mean, I think one would certainly argue bird box has a message as well. Right. I saw the movie and I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and then I kind of read the book and here we are. Right. So it's like for, for people who are like, I have something to say, I have a theme I want to address, but it, it might be a little sticky in this world one way or the other. And this is not a show about politics. It's never will. It never has been, never will be, but whatever it is you have to say, how is a way a, a writer might come into a sensitive, a tough topic, whether it be politics or whatever, without losing the thread of the story, but, but also seeing true themselves kind of telling that story that they feel needs to be told in the world. Okay, well, I have a couple. That's yeah. a great question, man. Great question. Uh, there was a thing. So for a while on Facebook, like years ago, I, I stopped writing posts and I sort of ima- uh, imagined this bizarre character in about 1900 who was writing letters to a friend. And, and all the letters were the madness that was happening in his apartment, right? And these were all my Facebook posts for like, God, years or something. And, and I did enough of them where there's books worth of these things. And one night at a bar, this girl came up to me and she was like, man, I'm so jealous of you because you figured out a way to talk about all the world issues through this character right. and not, and it didn't have to necessarily be pinned on you. And I hadn't thought about it in those terms at all. I was like, oh, I wasn't looking at it. She's like, well, it doesn't matter if you were looking to do that or not, <laughs> but you, you, you pull that off. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that is freaking interesting. Yeah. So I think one way is... Um, not that, not that a writer should feel like safe that like, hey, this is what the character thinks, not me, because you want to say what you want to say. But I do think there's a bedside manner to everything. There's an artistry to everything. There's also like the passion and truth of something. If somebody is giving me like a heavy handed message, well, maybe to be honest with you, man, like I, I like people that mean what they're saying right. and I like passion and I like that kind of thing. But I'm also aware that there's an there's an art to it or there's an artfulness to it but so for a long time i found like what you wouldn't want to do was to do it exactly on the nose so if you um so don't write a book about a a lunatic blonde president right like 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 you're you're going to like like i get what you're trying to say here man but maybe giving your own right guy or this kind of thing but then i saw that movie the hunt did you see that one yeah i did yeah. It was so blatantly yeah. on point. Yeah. And I, I loved it for that. It was like ballsy for that. I was, yeah. like, I was like, oh, okay. These guys were like, we're not going to hide this at all. We're just going to say everything. Yeah. And there was something really appealing in that they did that to me. I was like, wow, there was no art. There was no artfulness on that front. They just went yeah. for it. No nuance. Be- yeah, there, there was no nuance to it. It just was like, here it is. Here it is. Right. And yeah. so that kind of changed my mind a little. And I only mm. saw that a couple of weeks ago. Not that I would sit down to attempt the same exact thing, but it did open my mind a little where I was like, you know what? Maybe there is even a right way to do it like directly like they did. And so I, I think I think so long as you as the writer are um, true to what you're saying mm-hmm. and, we, and the reader can feel that. If someone doesn't agree, they don't agree, but you can feel that honesty. You can feel that take. You can feel that like passion. And to me, that that is what's most, um, that's like a triumph if you pull that off. Yeah. I, I think that's that, that honesty and that authenticity is really important. Um, one of the things I've had to learn in my writing journey 
is to, is to learn to tell a difference between a tough topic I want to authentically talk about that's important to me mm-hmm. and a topic that I want to talk about because I think it's going to make me look smart. Um, and j- j- I'm j- just being super candid <laughs> and, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and bringing my ego in and being like, boy, I hope I can show you how smart I am by my writing. It, it like the, the, the writing is so dead and there's no authenticity in it that it, it, it's made me realize how important that gut check is, especially on that tough stuff. It's like, I want to talk about this tough thing. Do I want to talk about it because it's really important and I have a personal emotional vested interest in it? Or do I want to talk about it because I think somebody might read and be like, well, Brian, he must be a really smart guy over there. Like, I, obviously, I don't want to be going down that second path anymore. Well, it's um, interesting to me that neither of your options were, am I just writing this because I want to make money or something? So that uh, already <laughs> said to me, no, I mean, that is super interesting as, yeah. as someone who's just listening because you just gave these two options that are both in a bizarre way, both are somewhat noble. Well, here's why. Because even the one of just trying to look smart implies that you probably have a very smart or a thought out take on something. And so I understand what you're saying about that gut check, but I do wonder if you do have this really intelligent take on a, on a meaningful topic, maybe there's a reason that you have that and it's okay to, it's okay mm. to show up how smart you are too. See, that's, that's an interesting angle. Now we're getting really meta here. We're doing like a pivot yeah. on the thinking. Right. Yeah, I think we just got a little meta. I know. Yeah, like into the matrix coming in, coming up, which I cannot Ooh. wait for. Um, so, so let's let's talk about your journey as a storyteller. So, you um, have been a musician, and before we started recording, um, you said you traveled and did hundreds, two hundred and fifty, two hundred and sixty shows a year, which is un. I mean, that's like six days a week, five days a week, six days a week. That's unreal pace. Um, were you writing during those times? Was that part of your storytelling journey? Like, when did you start saying to yourself, oh man, I really want to write books. I really want to tell stories. Wow. So, you know, it, it's the kind of thing you don't recognize till later in life, right? Yeah. Like and, and later into the experience is really what I meant to say. Um, you don't really look at somebody and be like, have you always wanted to be a writer? So you're like, uh, uh, when did this start? And then, <laughs> yeah, then you start looking and you find breadcrumbs. Uh, right. You know, try to... Uh, novel in fifth grade um obviously didn't finish it still upset that I, that would be amazing if i finished that um uh in high school started writing really really crappy emo poems right and that, that i yeah. have all of them in a box in this like closet <laughs> five feet for me actually um after that i started to try to write short stories and right around there my best friends so now i'm like in high school or whatever and my best friends were all playing music Derek played drums, Chad played bass, um, you know, uh, my, my friend John played drums as well. And so my friends were all playing music. I'm trying to write stories. And it was just sort of this natural thing at around age 19 where they were like, hey, you write. Um, we all hang out every day. We play music and there's no one right. Do you want to try to write with us? That kind of thing. You want to play music and write with us? And it was like, yeah, I, I think this is possible. And it was sort of like, it sort of started as sort of like, you know, hey, you just play the organ because we're all friends, but it was also like, you know, you write, you write, write, blah, blah, blah. So another friend named Mark starts singing those terrible emo poems <laughs> over me playing the organ, playing like two chords and the drummer playing. And all of a sudden it was, it was like, whoa, what's that? This is a song. Yeah. And I mean, the doors it just blew off for all of us. Because we weren't even playing it. We were just like making music. We're yeah. 19, ding, 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 ding. And Mark singing these, our own 
words. So that was like, then we were all bit. I mean, we we're like, okay, mm-hmm. we have to get, then we started like, we cared, we had to get better, this kind of thing. There was a moment in high school, not long before then, where I had gone um, on a, and like a basketball, I was in a, like a travel basketball league and went and played this tournament. And when we got back from it, I was so excited about it that I wrote this like 50 page story about it. Mm-hmm. This account about it. And then I handed it, I printed them out for all the teammates and the coaches. And, and at the time I was just like, man, that was a great trip. Wow. When I look back at that, I'm like 50 pages in high school. Dude. Yeah. That's a lot. Like, back then three pages. Yeah. Daunting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Really, you're like, I triple space this, you know? So there, the breadcrumbs have always been there. Yeah. But things didn't get real serious until me and that other, the guy, Mark, who was singing those words, until we were like starting to write the songs and telling each other we want to write novels. And then we were trying to write novels and failing. I failed at um, uh, four of them, where I even made it 300 pages into one. And, and when mm-hmm. I say failed, I only, only mean didn't finish. It doesn't, I, it doesn't mean if the book was good or bad. It just means I just didn't finish it. Yeah. And at some point around age 29, Mark leaves the band and we had a few months off the road and I sat down in a coffee shop in Michigan, this 24 hour place. And I wrote from beginning to end my first, my first one. And, and when I finished that one, it was, I mean, I remember being at page like 280 and knowing everything that happened after that and knowing, Oh my God, like I'm, I'm going to finish this one. It was the most exhilarating artistic experience of my life, finishing oh, wow. that first one. And once that one was done, now I'm at, I have written like 35 of them. And a number of those were on the road with the band. That was a long circle to your question. But yeah. a number of those were on the road with the band because we were touring for years. Derek would drive, the drummer would drive, the bass player would be like reading, um, he likes uh, like music bios and I'll never forget, he was reading like the history of Muzak, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm in the passenger seat and I'm like, look, I can either sit here. Oh, I didn't have a cell phone yet. That's very important. Yeah, right. I can either sit here, you know, take in the country, read, sleep, or I don't know, man, three hours a day is about what I would write if I was at home. So maybe I'll write from city to city and so began like i think i wrote god man six seven eight novels in the passenger seat of our touring van wow so what are, are these novels you wrote and didn't move to publish them were they novels you no. wrote that you just kept for yourself some of them got published it's hard to say like bird box was like the fourth right let's use yeah. bird box. this is it's hard to say the original draft was twice as long a million other th- different things about it I, you know, finished it and then I just wrote, started working on the next one and then the next one and the next yeah. one. And by the time I ended up with, um, and, and I never looked at those, that growing pile of books, like with dollar signs in my eyes, I never looked at it like we have to do this right now. Um, yeah. I just always blindly assumed one day these are going to be on the shelf. I don't know why. I was like, I just believed in what they were. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to remember. Well, it doesn't matter. Once I ended up with like a manager and an agent, and we the the we I ended up with them from the book Goblin, which came out you know earlier this year. Um, and at some point when I we were about to shop uh, this other book, whatever, um, I was like, hey, wait, everyone, 
maybe we should shop Bird Box. And they're like, what's Bird Box? I'm like, well, it's another one that I have. And I just feel like it's a better like debut. It's a better like yeah. how do you do it? a very straight story. It's small. I didn't see it as like any better or worse than the other ones. It just felt like a good first, like, hi, I write scary stories. <laughs> and it was like not as it wasn't as like lofty or complicated yeah. as some other ones. And it was a straight shot and it's, it felt good. HarperCollins buys it. And their notes were so extensive in terms of like, there was originally 14 housemates instead of seven that the book ended up having, stuff like that. These sort of macro notes. Their notes were extensive enough where I was like, you know what? And the writing was by then felt a little young to me. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to rewrite this whole thing, write it from scratch. And I did. So wow. what, what did HarperCollins buy and what came out, right? It's like, when, did you, when someone's like, when did you write Bird Bods? Uh, well, the one that you read, I wrote shortly before it came out, but I wrote a, the first version like eight years before that. Wow. So when you ask, were these just put in the, you know, put away or whatever? I, I mean, I guess Bird Box was just put to the side and another one was worked on, but I don't see any of them as quote unquote trunk novels. I see, and this is, this is something that I would advise any writer on, is that the rough draft is kind of supposed to suck. Right. And as long as you like, maintain the enthusiasm for the original idea the reason you wrote it in the first place you can rewrite the hell out of anything so if you're like yeah i wrote this one shitty novel well i bet you I, okay yeah, that version is but what's the idea i bet it's a damn good idea and if you rewrote it you can make it great so to me there's no real such thing as a trunk novel there's only like a trunk version and and if yeah. you want and if you do want that novel to come out and that story to come out then man, you're just going to have to roll up your sleeves and rewrite the hell out of it. Do, do you ever, did you ever, I mean, firstly, I absolutely love that story. And it's like, one of the reasons I do this is just to hear the backstories. I mean, it's so selfish, but I just, I love to hear it. So um, thank you so much for sharing. But do, do you find like in your life, when you are getting to that editing phase, I feel like a lot of writers, it's like a two by four to the face. You know, they, they've written this first draft, they go to read it and they're like, this sucks. Like, this oh, yeah. is so bad. How do, how do you get through? Like, how, how, how do you, how do you say, I'm not just going to start over. I'm actually going to, it seems harder when you're reading the first draft sometimes, because it's so bad to actually make something out of it. than it does sound to just start over and do a new book. How that do you get through it? Great question because, okay, this, this <laughs> is very timely too, because um, I'm rewriting a book right now Okay. and I made it to page like 75 and then I was like, you know what, wait, I don't have a grip on this. I'm going to start the yeah. rewrite over, not, not writing from scratch. So I'm currently, I had like last, uh, two nights ago, started the rewrite over. And I feel now I've got a better handle on it, whatever. Though I feel like you can tell when the rough draft is within range. Mm -hmm. Like, can this, like, is the work involved here just fixing this? Or is this literally unfixable? What am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I've run into both. Mm -hmm. I had a book, Carpenter's Farm, where I started, I'm like, oh, I'll fix it and make it. No, oh my gosh, is this bad? And I just, I ditched it and wrote it again from scratch. That, the Bird Box one was a little different. It had more to do with notes. And like I said, I, it was like, felt young or something. But this one I'm doing now, that rough draft is within range. I can just tell. It, it's within range. That doesn't mean every scene stays. But like the mood, the, the, the feeling, it's like I got a hold of something. The writing is like you said, I, there were lines last night. I said to Allison, I'm like, when the hell did, how did that get back the first time? <laughs> it's so bad. And like, you'll have moments like that are like 
because you're a horror author, you know, the moments like, and then dot, dot, dot. Yeah, like, right, right. What am I doing, man? Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think it's not necessarily that you need such a thick skin. I think it's that you need sort of like um, to just swallow the reality that the rough drafts are pretty much going to suck. And if they yeah. don't, lucky as hell. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, congrats, you're, you got one out of a hundred rough drafts exactly. that don't absolutely suck. Yeah. Yep. One of the things you just said to it had kind of sparked my thought. I'm, I'm going to think a question out loud, which sometimes this works out and boy, sometimes it doesn't, but here we go. Um, one of the things you, you were talking about just now when you're talking about editing and revising and trunk novels is I, w- I was wondering what, what is then the form of a story? Because it almost has like a ever evolving, it's one form here and then it mutates and adapts and changes. And then one piece of a story comes from this and goes to another. And I think sometimes when we think a story in a very rigid compartmentalized idea, it becomes a book, it becomes a this. And it almost, from what you were saying, it almost felt as if story uh, was more than that, existed as more than that. It existed as both a sum of its parts, but then also um, unique value in each part as well. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think so. <laughs> so I was saying, sometimes I talk a question out that doesn't even come out right, but it made me no, wonder right. what is the form of story, you know? Like, like, are you asking like, um, like, uh, what's the right phrase? Like it's nebulous. And then you either you catch it or not, or it can be told a gazillion different ways. And this is the way you told it. Yeah. Yes. And all of it. It's almost like, it's almost like, does the story, do we have to think of story as rigid as what we think about it as? Do, oh, I think. Do, 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 yep. do we have to think about it as, as finished or not finished? Is it, is it almost like looking at a river and being like, you could pick up a cup of that water and it's still water and you can dump it back in the river and then it becomes part of the river again. You can separate them and neither one of them lose their essence or value if they're separated. They still have that value. Love what you're saying. The, the original draft of Bird Box didn't have a quote-unquote ending. Yeah. was... Um, it sort of suddenly just stopped. Yeah. And what I loved about the, that is the original one kind of suddenly just started and then suddenly just stopped. And it, it was, the idea was sort of like slice of life, mm-hmm. but you know, you usually mm-hmm. see that in a romance or a drama, but I kind of like slice of life horror, this idea where you just kind of start in the middle of it. Like mom is rowing and blindfolded and like yeah. what's going on. And then it a- ends without it, any, any of that being resolved. And we just had like this viewfinder window of the horror that this woman is going through. Done. We don't know the resolution. By the time it came out, there is an ending to the book now. And it's, it still starts kind of like in the midst of stuff, but, but it, it doesn't start with like, the world is fine. You know, yeah. it starts yeah. with Mallory, like deciding like we have to leave right now. Yeah. So, and I, I totally agree with you and almost feel like uh, a story, uh, a story like that one or, or a horror story, especially could be like even, twice as powerful like i'm thinking about movies where um like did you see once that that mm-hmm. musical movie or mm-hmm. annie hall or movies where like you the, the the couple doesn't end up together and they you feel like they were supposed to like la la land like you feel like they were supposed yeah. to and they don't end up and you kind of walk away like what, what do you mean they don't end up together yeah. it almost feels like the it's not that the door was left open but it, it has this unfinished like tug at your heart 
And and I feel like there's a way to do that in horror where yeah. it would be like, what do you mean that's it? Like, yeah. what, what happened yeah. to them all? And yeah. it's like, it doesn't matter what happened to them all. The story is still there. This is what they are enduring. Yeah, that's a good, that opened up a good thought, which is like, recognizing there was a story before your story and for your characters, there will be a story after your story. Yeah. That's, that's, fun, not, right? account, that's not accounted for kind of changes the dynamic then of what is the story. It kind, yes. of, it kind of scrambles it a little bit. Yes. And least. how much you have to tell, how much you have to give away, how much you need to, um, how much right. backstory you need to tell all those kind of things. Yes. And then also, by the way, if you don't feel compelled to give like a, a character's, um, what's the right phrase? Like um, a reason that they're upset, a reason mm -hmm. that they're angry, a reason. If you don't feel compelled to do that, you're less likely to like use um, like a common thing, like the character's parents died, the character's mm -hmm. wife died, mm -hmm. uh, a child died. Like this, a lot of stories seem to start with, you know, a kid that doesn't have a mom or a mom that doesn't have a kid or something, right? That kind mm -hmm. of thing. And if you didn't feel as compelled, if you just start here and this is what everyone's going through, you might be able to pull that off without feeling compelled to do these sort of trite backstories, which mm -hmm. I think would go a long way, which, which I think goes a long way in trusting the reader that they'll enjoy it without yeah. those. Yeah, it opens up like a million options of, of what you want to do as a story. I, I think this part of the man, both exciting and sometimes maddening part about storytelling is that you have complete control and with that complete control comes almost limitless options of what you can and can't do. And, mm -hmm. and there's something that has a tyranny to it when you have a trillion options to choose from. Picking one can sometimes be very challenging. But Okay, I have, I have time for one last batch of questions. I'm going to go a little over, but I, I just, I got to ask this because this was on my list of things. Uh, okay, so here goes. I always love interviewing people who have... Um, had broad life experiences and obviously for you uh, have traveled and done shows, musician have lived like that music centered, music focused life. And I'm, I'm wondering what is it do you feel like are some of the big lessons you've learned from making music, producing music, writing music that has relevance to storytelling and novel writing? Well, I think the biggest um bond or link between the two that i can think of is uh in our band i play rhythm guitar and the bass player for a long time was like our lead guitarist so in a sense i was the rhythm section with the drummer and there was something about that of being the root rhythm of the song with Derek, while these mm -hmm. other more colorful elements are happening voices and bass and stuff that made me really think that that like not that that's the story but that that's the feel in a book is that rhythm behind mm. the book and so i every time i sit down to write I, I i swear to god i have a almost like a sense of like an invisible drummer in the room with me and he's oftentimes he's just playing doom 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 for 400 pages but sometimes he's not and sometimes he's playing a sort of more jazzy beat that when I come back to read that rough draft later, I'm not prepared for this like four or five beat or something. And I'm like, oh my, like, wait, what was this? This feels like it's yeah. all over the place. Maybe not. Maybe it's just think more in terms of how the drummer was playing that day. So to me, I think the biggest takeaway for me from music is, is the rhythm. But, but another huge lesson 
would be the equivalency of like the work that goes into making an album and the work that goes into writing a novel. And there's a sense with the album of like, we're three songs deep. We're five. We've got half the album we're saying. We've got tw drums on 12 songs now. And you can see these, like the progress, like being made um, with your friends amongst this. With a novel, it's like just, oh shit, it's just me and a blank page. Yeah. Where's the progress here? But having made like, gosh, like dozens of albums with my friends, I understand like this takes time. There's like small victories mm. along the way. Mm -hmm. You don't, it doesn't all have to be right. We can go back and fix that baseline on, on song mm -hmm. two, fix chapter two later. So those kind of lessons have been like super valuable for me is oh, that man. just saying like, this is going to be a lot of work, but you can do it. Yeah. I love both of those. I want to dig into the first question for a second. When you say the bass or I'm sorry, the drum beat, do, is, is that like the pace of the novel, the pacing of it? Is, is, so. is that how you would refer to that? I think so. Yeah, yeah. good question. I, yeah. I brought that up before. No one's ever asked that. I, yeah, I really do. I think that's what I mean is that the pace and it doesn't, you know, listen, I'm not, I'm into everything, man. So sometimes yeah. I, I was blurbing a book once and Allison's like, how is it? And I was like, it's, it's too thrilling. And she was like, what, what does that mean? And I was like, I'm telling you, it's too thrilling, man. It really is. It's like, <laughs> boom, every line is a dinner. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I, I like things to breathe a little. I like, yeah, you know, yeah. something to happen for no reason here and there. It doesn't have to be so freaking like a bullet, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, I do mean pacing, I think, but I don't want that to be confused with like, I feel like everything has to be this breakneck thriller or something. I right. Don't. Yeah. And, and I agree. I think, I think the, the pacing of your novel is, it's one of those sneaker topics that isn't discussed, I think, nearly enough of how much impact it can have on just the overall readability and, and accessibility of the novel. I think sometimes, like you said, pacing can be so fast that some people are just like, it's not, it's too much for me. And the inverse can be true as well. Pacing is so yeah. slow that you're like, oh my gosh, nothing's happening. Um, that's not, I, I think as an author, it's not something you should try and tailor. It's just, what do you want it to be? Right. What is it, the pacing that you like? I agree. Um, but Yeah. And it can change dramatically yeah. book from book, man. Yeah, like totally. It, it's, that's, that's one of the biggest things to me. It's okay. You don't like um, think about a, a lot of our musical heroes. That's another thing from music. Bob Dylan, David Bowie, people that like truly reinvented themselves throughout their career. Right. And, I mean, a lot of people have. And it seems like a lot of writers, once they find some sort of success, it's like they remain there. This right. is how I work. This is the pace at which I write. No, no, you don't have to. Like, yeah. it'd be fine. To, it's, it's fine to tell, like, a slow burn to tell a, uh, a, a non-horror story. Like, uh, you don't have to stay in this box. You could be very excited that you found success with this, but it is okay. And, I, and, and again, have a little faith in the readers that they'll welcome something different from you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. I, I could literally just... just keep this this party rolling um but i just looked down at the time and i'm like oh crap i gotta i gotta wrap this thing up so um to wrap up every single interview i ask the exact same final questions final five and i ask these questions for i always say i always have the kind of the same preamble i always ask it for two reasons first one is i like it and it's my show so i get to ask whatever questions i want second reason <laughs> is um i a big part of the point of this podcast this entire show is to break down this idea that there's one correct way to write um, that there's, you know, you should follow this form or you should write like this, or this genre is better than this genre, blah, blah. Like it's all beautiful and wonderful. All storytelling is yep. spectacular. And, yep. um, it, and I'm hoping the diversity of these answers kind of 
helps entertain people, but also gives you an idea that like you can do this however you want. Can, you can make this up however you want. There is no, there is no correct formula here. Really, what counts is you as the writer. You find your way to put good words on the page. That's really what it comes down to. So, with my preamble done, I will ask you the first of my final five questions, which is, what is the one word that best describes you? Well, I would hope that other people would use the word kind, and I'm not mm. just trying to be like noble, but I would hope that people think of me that way, like, God, he was nice, or, or I'm saying it as if I'm dead, um, and that <laughs> I, I would hope people are like, you know, man, he's nice, or that yeah. nice isn't quite, you know what I mean by that, like, yeah. like warm, kind, the older I get, the more I feel like um, how kind you are is like a barometer for intelligence, and yeah. because it's not an easy thing to maintain and it's not an easy thing to see through all the, the noise of like adulthood and the world that we keep growing up in. So if you are able to maintain kindness through a lot of this stuff, that is a, that's a noble feat to me. Agree. Agree. Especially, you know, we we're talking about this a little bit about traveling before we start recording, especially as you, you know, um, we, we live in a polarized time in, in America's history and politics. And, and I think a lot of times kindness overcomes so much of that polarization, like immediately, Absolutely. just nice to people. Like immediately. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. Question number two, if you had to pick a spirit book. So this is a book that like, if you died and you were able to be reincarnated as a book, this was the book, this would be the book you would come back as. What book would that be? Uh, unquestionably Moby Dick because it's. Oh, because Moby Dick. I've never had this one. Okay. Go. go it's, right, right, adventurous. Right. it's scary. Yeah. It's thrilling. It's a, the writing is as electrifying as Whitman, as Poe, yeah. um, as Philip Roth. It's just like, oh my God, that book is on fire. Yeah, so best if, opening if page. It's one of the most like, yeah. just riveting things I've ever read in my life. So yeah, that is my spirit book for okay. sure. Moby Dick. Moby Dick. And I've heard it said it was like the original horror novel. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Again, yeah. there's like, even here, yeah. I have, let me, let me just read this real, real fast. Okay. I have this cool, like, sort of like, it's, it's unabridged, but it yeah. almost looks like a thriller. Instead yeah, it of does. A, yeah, it does. And it even says on the cover, a captain driven insane by a mad obsession risks his ship and his crew in dangerous pursuit of a whale, a whale that could lead them all to a watery grave. I mean, it's that's, like, that's a setup. sounds like a horror novel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Moby Dick, great choice. I, I love that book too. My baby right here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question number three. Is there a specific tool? It can be anything at all, pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, whatever it might be, that you absolutely must have to write? Used to be yellow legal pads when I wrote freehand. Um, and it had to be yellow, and I loved that. Um, oh, I kind of do. I, I love to... I never really have mentioned this to someone, but I almost always write with sleeves. So like a jacket. Hmm. So I have, um, there's a, there's like a black suit jacket that I often wear yeah. and other times I wear this and, and I, and I also, this has, I've never told anyone this and I also <laughs> love to wear that when I sit down at the piano, hmm. I just, there's a sense of like, like being a little bit formal, like, oh, like, interesting. I, I, okay. like I've arrived at a black tie affair and, and we can like, dude, we can undo our tie. We can get drunk. We can get crazy. It, it, it's, it's not that the writing is formal, but it's like sort of respecting the process. Like, hello, mm. hello writing. I am mm. Josh. Good to meet you. Let's roll today. So very, very, almost 99% of the time I'm wearing some sort of jacket when I'm writing. Or oh, that's so it. interesting. It's like a smoking jacket only for writing. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a sense of like, Sounds I'm a like gentleman a, about this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a 
I'm all about, like, sign me up to that idea. Like, I'm all in, I'm all into that one. Like, I, when you said, I was like, do I have a jacket I can start wearing when I write? Like, that's a cool yeah. idea. Okay, question number four. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Well, my manager and I, Ryan, we've been together for um, 13 years now. And, and at some point we decided, we agree that we are both in sort of, inherently optimist but one thing that we agreed upon is that it's okay to get excited for every small victory along the way so for example if a book of yours gets the option for film and you're like oh my god this is unbelievable and this kind of thing and someone else will say to you this has happened they'll say hey man uh, until that thing that, that, that doesn't mean it's going to get made right or until that check is in the mail it doesn't matter no it does matter yeah. This, is a, this is a step on the way. No, it doesn't mean that it's going to get made, but like this is something to be excited about as well. And, and even like the prospect, you're talking to someone um, uh, uh, about like, um, oh, uh, I sent Del Rey the idea for the next book and, and she seems like she's going to like it. It's okay to be excited by that. And then it's also okay to feel like, if she yeah. doesn't, if, she, if they say no. And that's something that Allison has taught me that like, when you when you feel disappointed or angry or jealous, just feel it. Yeah. Don't then get mad at yourself for feeling jealous because now mm. you're jealous and angry. Just yeah. feel that initial negative thing. So I think the answer to that is because I think a lot of people would say don't get too don't get too excited or don't get too high or too low. But my answer to that is no. Do it. Get both. Mm. Get overly um, confident and excited and like oh my god this could happen and when it doesn't feel that it sucks mm. but feel both sides of that and experience both sides purely yeah what what you're saying has so much power not just in the writing life but in life in general like that's like life advice has power because like one of the things i've learned is there's way more danger in not feeling emotion than there is in feeling it yep there's there's a lot of danger in bottling up anger there's a lot of a lot of danger in bottling up sadness right. a lot of a lot of danger in bottling that up and sinking that somewhere into your body because that's kind of where it goes also, there's a lot like <laughs> a, a tremendous amount of danger yeah. in bottling up um uh, excitement or yeah. or like right. because what happens then a lot of the times excitement can lead um can become like momentum so watch yeah. real fast real fast so let's say you're like oh my god um i, I mean it doesn't all have to be about movies or something but let's use an example oh my gosh this uh, universal studios is reading a book and then they're considering picking it up you're all excited about that and while you're excited about that you have an idea for another book and you start working on that book and then universal says no to that movie thing and you're like oh man i thought they were going to say yes but guess what while yeah. you were excited you, you had momentum to get started on something else too so it works that works in both directions yeah exactly yeah boy we could open up a whole another podcast episode on that thought right there yes I agree. Okay. But I'm going to step myself. All right. Question number five. Last question. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to new writers, what would it be? It's what we were talking about earlier that um, get rid of the words good or bad in that mm -hmm. rough draft stage. It does not matter if that rough draft is good or bad. It just matters that it's done because what mm -hmm. would you rather have? Mm -hmm. 300 pages that are pretty rocky for you to work with, fix, or begin again or no pages at all. Because right. there's that sense of um, once you know, you know, like I am capable of finishing a novel, that's more important than 
how right or wrong that first draft is. Right. And the fact that you, when, once you've proven yourself, you're capable of it. I mean, there's no stopping you. Right. Wonderful. Can't, can't end a podcast on anything better than that. Josh, where can people find you? Where do you hang out online? What's your, what are your normal haunts? Well, it's really just my, me, um, Josh Mallerman, M-A-L-E-R-M-A-N at, um, or on Facebook and Twitter. Okay. There is no other, apparently no other Josh Mallerman in the world because I'm the only <laughs> that has all those. Okay. So where, where are you? Do you tweet a lot? Instagram, anywhere where you tend to be more than other places? I would say I'm about the same on all of them. Okay. I, Facebook feels mo- mo- more me than any other. Twitter seems a bit, it can be a bit of an angry place. Not, not, not yeah. me, but it, it tends to be a bit of an angry party that yeah. I don't drink quite as yeah. often. But yeah. I will say this real fast. My website, joshmallerman.com does have an entire novel for free, just it's just sitting up there, and it was awesome. put up at the beginning of the pandemic. There's literally nothing. There's no, you know, nobody has to pay. There's no number of views. There's no reviews. It's just a novel that is just sitting up there called Carpenter's Farm. That anyone, anyone that you know, you're tight on money, and you're like you re, you like to read books uh, online or whatever. It's sitting right there at the website, Carpenter's Farm. Amazing, amazing, and generous. Um, Josh, I so appreciate talking to you. I appreciate your um, kindness. Firstly, you saying that word, I'm like, I, I feel that. I appreciate your kindness. I appreciate your enthusiasm, your openness, and um, sharing your journey. This is, you know, as good as it gets for me. And so I, I just am deeply grateful for the time, just even an hour I get to spend with you. So thank you so much for this time. Yeah, thanks to you, man. This is this <laughs> great. Let's do it again. You know, anytime. Mean and when you're maybe in a different state and then I'm talking about a different book and whatever it is, but the door is always open anytime. Okay. Thank you so much. I want to thank Josh again for his time. If you haven't yet, please check us out on Instagram under happy writer. Also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Got a little tongue tied there. Lastly, I want to take a second and say thank you to all the listeners out there, and I really hope you have a wonderful week of writing.